or how Jeff can feel his wife's pain in pregnancy. The two shall become one. I never felt that. I'll have to work on it, I guess. Oh, yeah, I'll see. We had one of those other things, not, what do you call them, dears? The cesarean, so you, it was safe to be close on the first one. Amen. I'm just wondering if I did this, would I be able to come Friday night? <laughs> yeah? Oh, I got, I got the go-ahead from one of the leaders, that's all right. Good day. And I can grow a beard. Yes, it may be a bit, might be a bit greyer than and a hat. I've got a hat. Oh, one of those. No, I've got a real hat. I've got a, what are those, what are those ones you get? Slim Dusty wears them? The Akubra. I've got an Akubra. That's a real hat. Not a wuss's hat. Now that I've upset everybody, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start. Hey, if, um, if you weren't here this morning, I would recommend that you listen to the podcast that James, James, um, is this, who's doing that? Is that me? That's fine? Okay. Don't listen to the podcast, get his notes. <laughs> he's got them right here, he's looking at them now while I'm preaching. Uh, well, that's a bit of a shame because um, it goes really well with my message tonight, what James was talking about this morning and... Uh, after we'd swapped notes yesterday lunchtime to make sure we got it all right. That was really good. No, not really. <laughs> um, I guess I'm just looking at the same thing, but maybe not even a different angle, maybe a different facet of uh, what he spoke about this morning. So it's a shame you missed it if you weren't here. See, Ziggies, you should have been here. I told you last night, be here. But I know. Now, who haven't I offended? <laughs> I'll get us all done. Oh, Phil! <laughs> <laughs> okay, we better look at some scripture. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralysed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marvelled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to Centurion, Go your way, and as you believe, so it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. Uh, we've been able to worship you, Lord, in just, a, a, I guess, a limited way. But I thank you again for that opportunity. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you that through your Holy Spirit you're with us here this evening. 
And I thank you, Father, that we'd be open to what you'd have to say to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a short history lesson. A Roman centurion. He was a man who commanded around about 100 troops or soldiers. And he was the bravest one because a centurion led from the front. He was the one with the sword out, yelling charge and racing to the enemy. And uh, so I guess if you weren't real good at doing that, you'd never become a centurion. So it was, uh, um, I guess, a prestigious position and a, a, a one of honour. There was one famous centurion, was the legendary Lucius Siccius Dentatus. Now, isn't that a name? What a great name, Lucius Siccius. That's really annoying me. I don't know whether it's annoying anyone else. Can I have... Much as I hate my own voice, I like to hear what I'm saying without bumps. Lucius Siccius Dentatus. We should have names like that today. Known as the Roman Achilles, who in the 5th century BC participated in a staggering 120 battles and at least eight single combat duels, he also found time to single-handedly recapture his legion standards and he boasted no fewer than 45 battle scars. That doesn't leave much room on the body, does it? <laughs> Gee, if you had 45 tattoos, you're, you're filling up things. So these were tough men. They weren't wusses. They were, they were hard men. The Roman army in the time of Jesus was the, the elite. It was a supreme body of men who fought bravely and who fought skillfully. Highly organised, disciplined force that was highly skilled in war. But it, it was a harsh time. It was a, a, the environment. The one thing I learnt in Latin, apart from Amoa Massamatum, which are the first three words you learn in first year high school in South Australian Latin, I didn't learn any more, except how harsh the Roman army was. I believe my Roman, not my Roman, my Latin teacher was Roman because he looked that old. But he was telling us that one, I can distinctly still remember him telling us about the army and how harsh it was that if they were at the, you know, the furthest point of the, the empire and they're running low on food, they would line them up. And if they needed to get rid of, say, 20, well, every you know, fifth bloke could get killed. Great stuff, hey? So he was the man, I'm sure, who would go along and say, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, and one of the other soldiers would jab the guy, kill him. That's, what, that's, that's the harshness, that's the, the hardness of a Roman centurion. So the Roman centurion in Matthew 8 would have been like this, a, a, man, of, and a, a man of great power and authority. What he said went. He says in, it says in chapter, uh, verse 9, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And yet this man comes to Jesus. He's a Roman. He's a Gentile, which is probably worse than being a Roman, but you put them together. 
He's part of the conquering army of Jerusalem. And yet he recognises in Jesus a Jew has greater authority and power than he, a centurion in the occupying army of almighty Rome. Wow. That's amazing. Do you ever watch documentaries? I love documentaries on things like Rome, the Roman times. you ever watch those? They were civilised. I'd hate to see what the barbarians were like. My goodness. So this man... So you've got to, we've really got to understand that cultural thing before we go further into the scripture. The hate that would be between the Romans and the Jews. The Romans were one of the furthest spots in the empire. Sometimes it was an honour to be appointed there. Most times it was like, you've done something wrong, you're getting out of Rome. They wouldn't want it to have been there. The Jews were a pain in the neck always causing trouble. And yet here he is, coming to Jesus. And you know what I like? There was no question by Jesus of him coming to him. I'm sure other leaders of the Jewish community probably would have spat and walked away because of this filthy Gentile Roman occupying soldier had come to talk to them. Are you getting the idea? But Jesus just welcomed him. He was ready to talk to him. Is he different to other centurions the Jews would have encountered among their occupying forces? Well, I think it's pretty obvious he was. Luke 7, which is a, I believe, the same account, um, but in a slightly different way, says that he loved the nation of Israel. So that's a good start, to be different. And he had built a synagogue, obviously for the Jews. And another probably even more outstanding attribute for those times than that was he actually cared for his servant. Dime a dozen. Servant sick, kick him out the door, let him die, get another one. Basic economics in the Roman Empire and most other empires at that time. So he was different. So let's have a look. Firstly, the Roman centurion understood or perhaps believed something that many Christians today don't believe or struggle with. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He said he's not worthy. It's a rather strange thing. I don't quite understand why, but when they interpret from Greek to English, they give different interpretations of the word because the word in this place, worthy, means that is about being sufficient, sufficient in ability. So that's what he's saying to Jesus. I don't have the sufficiency to have you come in. I don't have the ability. It's sort of, I don't, so I don't know why they don't put that there in the first place. So it saves me getting confused. 
He understood his limitations even as a Roman centurion, but recognised the power and authority of Christ. He's putting his insufficiency, his inability, into Christ's hands. That's a double wow. Two Corinthians three five says, "Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God." In Philippians three, if you want to have a quick look there, and uh, Paul is speaking about how good he is, and. Uh, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he's elevating himself above everybody else and how, how good he is. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is the, in the law, blameless, but these things were... Gained to me, but what these things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He realized that all his talents, all his skills were nothing compared to his sufficiency in Christ. The question is do we believe that? Do we believe that tonight? That our sufficiency must be in Christ. Is there anything wrong with being a knowledgeable, well-educated well, um, man like Paul? No. Of course not. But we must recognise that our sufficiency is in Christ. Jesus marvelled at the centurion's faith. What a great word that is. He marvelled. You know, you can be impressed, but marvel goes way beyond that, doesn't it? He marvelled at his, at his faith. You know, he marvelled at another group of people. Twice in the New Testament, Jesus marvelled. don't know how good that English is, but the other group were in a town called Nazareth. Sound familiar? That's where Jesus grew up. But he didn't marvel at their faith like he did the centurion's faith. He marveled at their lack of faith. Look at the response to his preaching in Mark 6. Who does this upstart think he is? He's only Joseph the carpenter's son. Who does he think he is coming into our synagogue and telling us what for? Isn't his brothers and sisters here with us? Who does he think he is? Jesus healed a few people but couldn't do much. And he marvelled at their lack of faith. Two things. 
Familiarity breeds contempt. I'm sure we've heard all that, that saying before. They had known Jesus all their lives and now they struggled with his position and his teaching. We too must be careful that we don't become that familiar with Christianity that we think we know it all or we don't accept something new. In the book of Acts in chapter 17, Paul was in a place called Thessalonica and he was bringing the good news, sharing in the synagogues the scriptures to show that Jesus was the Messiah. He had to be smuggled out of Thessalonica so that he didn't get killed because the believers, the Jews, the chosen children of God would not accept what he, what he was saying. He went down the road some little distance to a place called Berea and they were a better mob, it says so in Acts. And so they said, okay, mate, we'll give you your five minutes, go for it. And he did. And so they listened and they looked at the scriptures and they searched through the, through the scriptures to see what he was like, what he was saying. Was it true or was it false? That's a far better attitude. If you come up with the same uh, answer that the Thessalonicans did, well, so be it. Move on. See, we can fall into the trap of coming to church doing the same old, same old, can't we? Oh, well, I do. Yeah, James does. That's not looking good for us, James, is it? We're the pastors and we're the ones that... Come on, let's be true. Sometimes the Christian walk can feel like that. It can be like that. You just keep plodding along and nothing seems to happen. But we must never get in such a way that we don't rely on Christ in all that we do. Secondly, in verse 3 of Matthew, uh, no, yeah, Mark 6, they were offended at Jesus' teaching. Offended. I really must look that word up because it obviously means a lot different to what I think offended is. I'm going to let you in on it. You've all thought I'm a bit weird. Well, I'm going to confess it. I am. With all honesty, you won't offend me. I rarely... I can't even think of a, a situation where I've been offended. I may, not have, I may have disliked terribly what you've done or somebody's done or said or whatever, but it doesn't offend me. I'm not sure. What does offend mean? Because I can't understand it. I, you know, we, we hear people go into a shop and they're playing Christmas carols and they're offended. No, you're not. You just don't like Christmas carols. You're not offended. I think offended is hating someone and finding an excuse for your hate. I mean, I can go take a news agent. I like motorbikes, I like cars. And if you uh, ever go into the stand in the news agents where 
There's motorbike magazine, car magazine, cycling magazines, pornographic magazines. They put them together next to where the men look. Am I offended by that? No. They're running a business. They're doing whatever they are. Do I like it? No. I think it's disgusting. Shouldn't even be on the shelves. But I'm not offended. I don't want to burn that newsagent down because it's got pornographic material in it. These guys were offended. You know, I had someone the other day, actually they, they rang me up and uh, I'd seen them about two days earlier and they wanted to ring me up. They were ringing me up about something else and they started off with, I wanted to apologise for blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what? Well, what, what, what was the problem? And uh, apparently I was walked past them and said hello and they hadn't turned around and said hello. and So I just, I just kept going, you know. And uh, no, it was nice of them to think that maybe they had offended me. I, I appreciated that. But see, I, when it comes to offence, I think... What's that person's day like? I mean, they were, in a, they were talking to someone else and there was people all around. It was a busy situation. So I had to think about this because <laughs> I hadn't occurred that I may have been offended. One, did they hear me in the first place? Um, secondly, I don't know. There's, all, there's, a, there's a thousand reasons why they may have offended me, but they didn't. So that's why I don't get offended because I think, well, Andrew's had a bad day. That's why he didn't talk to me. There's something on his mind he was thinking. Now, who, who's ever walked through the mall and someone comes up and goes, because <laughs> you've been staring right at them and haven't seen them? Yeah. Come on. I'm the only one who's done that. Yeah. Oh, come on, James, please put, yeah, good. There's, there's three of us, there's a few. Because you're off with the fairies or somewhere and you're, just, you're seeing but not seeing, aren't you? That's the way I look at people if they, you know, if someone walks past me and doesn't, oh, well. But they were offended. Offence will stifle our faith probably nearly more than anything. A friend of mine has a saying, flush it. You know what Paul calls, all those things that Paul says about himself? In the good old King James, I think it says dung. <laughs> Take your dung and put it in the toilet and flush it. Because you know when you flush something in the toilet? It's gone forever. It's not there, is it? That might be a bit crude for church on a Sunday night, is it? Sorry, we'll take that off the... What would you rather be? A Nazarene full of Jewish pride whose lack of faith Jesus marvelled at? Or a centurion whose faith Jesus marvelled at? Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. There would have been Jews standing all around there and they would have been offended. How dare he say that a filthy, stinking Gentile Roman be told he has more faith than us. Jesus was pretty good at getting people offside, wasn't he? 
Maybe he was telling some home truths. So what would happen if we were to believe like the centurion? How would we go? I know, everything's hunky-dory. Life's just peaches and cream, isn't it? When you're a Christian and you've got faith. Who else missed that memo? I've got tired hands tonight or they're just not... I'm really not doing good. But it's true. There's nowhere really said about the Christian life being some fanciful, fairy, nice thing. More times I read this, the more times I realise it's the opposite. Where's Paul in 2 Corinthians 11? Paul has had three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day in the deep, perils, perils of water, robbers and his own countrymen, Gentiles that upset him, hurt him, in the cities, in the wilderness to name a few, weariness, sleeplessness, hunger and thirst. Yet Paul says confidently in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think he wrote that in jail. Peaches and cream, hey, with strawberries on top. I don't think so. So why? Why could Paul say that? He's been whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and hungry and cold and wet and miserable. He's in jail and he can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The two verses before, 11 and 12, says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, because his sufficiency is in Christ. See, like Paul, I can be highly educated or not educated at all because my sufficiency is in Christ. I can have endless wealth. You know, I know people who just flash the card and away they go all over the world. I can have no money at all. I relate to that one a bit better. But my sufficiency is in Christ. I can be expertly skilled or not skilled in anything. But my sufficiency is in Christ. I can be extremely healthy and fit. I'd like to do that, but my body's not allowing me at the moment. Or struggle with a lifelong disease. But we can do both because our sufficiency is in Christ. Yet I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me because my sufficiency is in him. That great psalm, Psalm 23, tells us that the great shepherd is with us even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't leave us. You know, there's far more in here about God taking people through over or around or whatever than letting them avoid it. James was talking about the walls this morning. 
Actually, I think I've got that a bit further down, so I won't jump to it. As we walk in faith like the centurion, believing in God's word, the centurion said, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And applying that to our lives, we will be a light unto the world of God's sufficiency for us in all situations. I love what James said this morning. He said, God led the Israelites to the wall of Jericho. The wall of Jericho didn't come to them. That upsets their mindsets, doesn't it? Something terrible. God doesn't bring anything bad to us. The wall of Jericho sounded pretty tough. There was a blind man, blind for what, 30-something years. Jesus said he's been blind not because of his sin, because my father can be glorified. How's that sitting with your theology? But God will take us to the wall that he may be glorified. Gets off us. It's not a, sorry people, it's not about you or me. It's about God. Think of Lazarus and his two sisters. He's very sick. He's about to die. And uh, when Jesus heard that, they sent a message to Jesus. And he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And took a few more days rest. Or stayed where he was for a couple of more days. Really? Really, Jesus? They would have been saying, those two girls, I'm sure. They were facing their wall. Their brother was nearly dead. And they knew if Jesus was there, he would be healed and he'd be okay. Their brother died. Oh, Jesus is off somewhere else. How would you feel? Like the wall is too big? But it was for God's glory, for God to be glorified. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you because your sufficiency is in him. Many years ago, Crowfoot, the chief of the Blackfoot Confederacy in southern Alberta, Canada, gave the Canadian Pacific Railroad permission to cross the Blackfoot land from Medicine Hat to Calgary. In return, the railroad gave Crowfoot a lifetime pass to ride on the railway. He put it in a leather case and he wore it round his neck for the rest of his life. Great. But there is no evidence that he ever used it on one of their railways. James just chuckled. It says we may chuckle. At the chief neglecting to use his pass. But many Christians are just like him in not availing themselves to the unlimited promises of God. They may have a nice Bible that they put on the shelf. They may have a plaque on the wall, but practically they never actually use God's promises in their daily lives. 
God has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness through knowing Jesus, knowing Christ and trusting in his all-sufficient promises. Amen. Can we have the music team, please? Would you stand with me? If a Roman centurion of the conquering army of Israel be spoken of as a man of great faith, even greater than has ever been heard of in Israel. What a statement. Jesus marveled at his faith. I don't know, but I think I'd like Jesus to marvel at my faith. But I can only do that when I put my sufficiency in him, believing his word and putting it into action, that we might be bright and shining lights to those around us. I mean, most of us, I think you would agree, have the same problems that everybody else does on this planet, true? Whatever your community you live in, you know, loans or you know, car crashes, bicycles go out from underneath you and you break your hips, all these things. But when our sufficiency is in Christ, we glow a whole lot brighter than what our neighbours do. Those in our workplaces, those in our sporting places, those wherever that know that we are believers in God. And that's what God wants us to do, to shine his light to those around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we read your word, that I think sometimes you really turn our thinking upside down. In this passage alone where Jesus, you just had no qualms about this Gentile Roman centurion. He didn't, he didn't, that wasn't, I guess, the issue to you, if you even had an issue. You welcomed him, you spoke with him, and through your word, his servant was healed. Sometimes I think it would be really good to have the next chapter of some of these pieces in your word. To, to How did that affect that Roman? Obviously he had some sort of um, a liking or fondness to Israel and, and, and the faith of the Jews. But when he saw the Son of God just speak and heal his son, wow, he must have been so moved. Father, we have all sorts of things in our lives. I pray, Lord, tonight that as we take your word and apply it to our lives, that, Lord, you would marvel at our faith. 
that we, even though we have struggles, we have things come against us that aren't of our own doing. Um, sometimes they are of our own doing, that, but we can get ourselves in all sorts of things, situations, Lord. But I thank you, Father, that as we look to you for our sufficiency, that we would know that you would be with us and walk through with us and that you would marvel at our faith. Lord, we give you praise, we give you honour. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, team.